Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is Renaissance man Jonathan Strickland. <laughs> Huzzah! Gosh, Ariel, I think you might have tipped your hand, but I got a question for you. Okay, peek behind the curtain. I did ask Ariel this question before we actually did this episode because it's one of those questions where you might need to to give it some thought. And while I love Mm -hmm. watching Ariel struggle as she tries to come up with answers, uh, it doesn't make for the best audio because it's just quiet. So, Ariel, here's your question. You have played a lot of different characters at the Renaissance Festival as a member of cast, but what is one character you have not played, but you would like a shot at? You see, this is very difficult because I've played almost everything you can play at fair. I've been the old maid, I've been a kissing wench, I've been a musician, which people might say doesn't count, but it totally counts because I had a character. Um, I've been various court members and peasants and things like that. I've been in scenario. I've been a combatant. Runner-up is I would love to be like a main villain. I played a main villain at in scenario at fair one year, Amelia Onair. 
because who doesn't want to be Amelia O'Neill? Uh, <laughs> she got downgraded from like major villain to like just snide court member because they changed scenario halfway through the year. So, like, I've been a scenario villain, but I haven't really like been a scenario villain. Mm-hmm. But the one character, the one, the only character I can really think of that I haven't played, the only kind of like class of character I haven't played is fairy, and I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, it'd probably be like a water sprite or something like that. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. So I'm very curious because I actually don't know the Amelia Nair story because I wasn't part of cast that season. Um, I, but was it something where you actually did start out halfway through or start out at the beginning of the season with a scenario in one form that literally changed halfway through the season? Yes. Yes. So originally you were going to have these like, and and here's the thing, like it obviously wasn't the strongest scenario because I can't even quite tell you exactly where it was going to be. But we had these court members who were conspiring against the court uh, and were going to be main villains. And I was one of them. And then they brought pirates in and then the pirates became the villains and the court members ended up just doing a who's the best of Newcastle. uh, Have a peasant win a prize. Maybe we were trying to get the crown or something like that. But Originally, the, all the court members were going to be the villains trying to kind of overthrow the royalty. And then that got moved over to pirates. So we just became this weird, like, tertiary group of really annoying, spoiled, like, nobility, basically. No, oh, interesting. So so when the season started, by that time, it was already the pirates who were the bad guys? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was during rehearsals that it changed, and it was really bizarre. That's, that's very upsetting. I mean, uh, so I have played the main villain or one of two main villains in the festival. Of course it, it helps that I wrote the scenario. Um, turns out if you really, if you really want <laughs> to make sure that you've secured your spot, you just, you're the one who writes the script. Um, but yeah, that, that stinks. Cause you would have made such a, such a fantastic villain in scenario. It's unfortunate that that got rewritten. Uh, and it's also yeah. funny that you said that because my answer for me is so I I've played the mayor of the town. I played the Lord Admiral who was kind of like Emilio Nair, well, you know, a snooty, mm-hmm. nasty kind of member of court. Um, and I've played Hugo Hauntus town ghost who turns out was not actually a ghost, but was a villager who had the job of being town ghost, which is mm-hmm. led for interesting comedy. Uh, I played a villain who, a French villain who was very much based on, uh, uh, Count Rochefort from uh, the Three Musketeers, um, and I've played William Shakespeare, but I've never played a pirate. Now I wouldn't want to steal scenario from you. <laughs> I don't want to mm-hmm. be that kind of pirate, but I never got to play a pirate. And and yes, you know we acknowledge Renaissance Fair frequently has characters far outside the Renaissance. We have had characters that date from the middle ages, like Robin hood and such. And we've had characters who come after the Renaissance era, like the musketeers and pirates during the golden age of piracy, which is like a century and a half out of when we would typically think of the Renaissance. But Mm -hmm. the Renaissance fair is a very much, you know, fantastical kind of amusement park. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I never got a chance to play a pirate and I think it would be fun to kind of play a gentleman pirate type character. Not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, 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 down and dirty 
swashbuckler, but more like maybe like a Captain Hook kind of character. You see, this will probably not ever happen. But if you ever did go in as like a Captain Hook character, I'd love to be your Smee. I'd think like in my brain, I've played a pirate. I've never played a, like officially a pirate affair, but I've been Scarlet LaRouge enough in your stories when that's we've been true. out there together <laughs> that my brain is just like, oh, yep, you've been a pirate, Ariel. Um, <laughs> yes, that's true. I have. Uh, there are a series of stories I would tell as the Admiral where the Admiral had this uh, this arch nemesis, uh, a woman pirate, Scarlet LaRouge, who frequently would take him prisoner and the story always ended with him uh indicating that at some point the admiral and scarlet larouge got married but that was a story for another time another and i time. always had i always <laughs> had ariel stand in as she was playing a uh, a french noblewoman a a fashion consultant to the queen who wears pink and i would explain that scarlet larouge looks an awful lot like this character but obviously it couldn't <laughs> be the same person because scarlet wore red and this person wears pink <laughs> yeah it was a lot of fun lot yeah of fun. very very silly very cartoony like the the way we played characters at our festival was over the top we we always said it's kind of like a looney tunes or muppets kind of approach to character building Anyway, mm -hmm. I was curious about that. And I thought like the kind of episode we're doing today is more loosey goosey kind of uh, general conversation and exploring topics and getting to know each other and each other's uh, likes and dislikes and allowing our audience to get a glimpse on that. So we want to talk a little bit about uh, something that uh, we think is is relevant in in geek culture, and that is to talk about things that just don't click with us. And not to say that these are things that are bad or that are poorly made or that don't deserve the love they get, but that for whatever reason, we just never connected with those properties. Yes. So I'm going to start because this is one that I'm, I'm told I'm wrong for all the time, which is I'm not a huge fan of Firefly. Yeah. And brown coats or Firefly fans, uh, can can be so protective of the thing they love that they can sometimes be somewhat aggressive toward people who do not share that love. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it started, uh, and for anybody who has heard this story before, I apologize. It started because I was told I should watch this show, and every time it was on television, uh, it would be the Heart of Gold episode, which is the episode where they, I think, first meet Saffron, they go to a planet, it's got a lot of um, prostitutes there. Uh, and it's an okay episode, but like when that's all you ever see, it's like when you put on Enterprise and all you ever see is a Vulcan showering, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, this isn't enough story to get me. So by the time that I did watch the entire series, one, it had been overhyped. Mm -hmm. Two, uh, I already had kind of this boredom from it. And then three, like, I like scoundrels as as much as the next person, but everybody is a scoundrel. There's there's very little actual heroism in it, which somebody pointed out to me who also didn't like Farscape. So when I did go and watch the entire series, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. If, if every character on your show is Han Solo and there's no Luke Skywalker, it can I can see what you mean by getting overwhelming. I think for a lot of people. I mean, obviously the quirky dialogue did a lot, but I also think that clearly the, the performances, right. The actual oh, yeah. performances by the actors really drew people in. 
I can't disagree with your assessment. I liked Firefly when it was first on. As time goes on, and as I reevaluate Joss Whedon's work, uh, not just within the the scope of knowing more about Joss Whedon as a person, but just critically evaluating what was actually being said, uh, my opinion of his works has probably gone down a little bit. Like, Hmm. Things that I, I once genuinely enjoyed, I don't feel the desire to revisit. Again, it's not to say that they were bad or that anyone working on those shows did a bad job. Also doesn't help that um, uh, it's Adam Baldwin, I believe, right? Who played Jane. Yes. It doesn't help that I find that particular actor's personal uh, beliefs and behaviors to be rather distasteful. And that doesn't like, it's hard for me to watch something with him in it. Same with Chuck. I get that. The performances were really good. And you know, the, uh, that you can really like characters if, even if you don't like the story that they're in, I have a couple others, but uh, what about you? Jeez. Ariel. I mean, like <laughs> the ones that didn't click with me are ones that will get me so much hate. Um, and so I'll give you two. You can choose whichever one you want to talk about more with me, but Avatar The Last Airbender is one of them, and Doctor Who is another one, and those fan bases are incredibly passionate about those properties, and I just don't get either of them. I mean, but you see, I really want to talk about them both, but okay, we'll we'll do that if we have time, so... Let's talk about Doctor Who. Why, as an avid Doctor Who fan, having grown up with it, um, why did it not click with you? This is an excellent question, and I'm not certain I can fully answer it. I, so I, Doctor Who was one of those things that I was tangentially aware of when I was a kid. Like, I was aware of the old series before it went on a very long hiatus, um, and in fact, I was going to science fiction conventions where some of the actors who had played some of the doctors like John Pertwee would be guests at those conventions. And I could see that there was a genuine love, but I never I had never watched the show. And whenever I saw a mm-hmm. clip, it always looked like a very low budget, slow, talky kind of show. And at the time, it just didn't interest me. You mean me. like a BBC show? Yeah, um, like a, like a Shakespeare <laughs> play, but with robots, I guess. I don't know. It just wasn't doing anything for me as a kid. So I, no, I get that. Even though Shakespeare with robots sounds like it's 100% up your alley. Oh no. Today I would eat that up. But as a kid, it just, it, to me, it was too slow. I didn't, I didn't yeah. care for it. Uh, then flash forward to the reboot with Chris Eccleston coming in as the new doctor. Um, I just, I didn't get on the ground floor cause I didn't have that connection to the older doctors to like have that point where I felt the hook to watch the new stuff. I finally started watching the new stuff after hearing multiple friends gush about it. And, uh, the first few Eccleston episodes didn't get me at all. It wasn't until the one where it's the kids with the gas masks that mm, the empty child in the doctor dances. Yes, the, that that's Best the episodes. One, that's the one that got me only because the doctor has that moment where he realizes that he can save everyone and he is legitimately joyful and excited. And you realize that the reason for that is because it's such a rare thing that he usually has to resign himself to the fact that no matter what he does, someone is going to suffer. And for it to be mm-hmm. a situation where he can actually rescue everyone, 
it is something truly special. And that connected with me. I felt that like, I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is for the first time for watching these. I feel something. Yeah. And then I tried to watch more of it and I was like, "Mm, it's just not like I, I, I watched all the way through the tenant stuff. I got through Smith, I think. And then I stopped. Um, yeah. And then I, I just, it just, again, like I kept watching out of almost a sense of obligation, but it never connected to me again on that same level. I, I get it. For, for me, the, those two episodes, Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, are the best episodes of the reboot, just flat out. Because they do connect so well, they're scary, they're tense, they, they're so very human, um, which is a weird thing to say about a show about nanites and, and aliens. But um, it, it's it's definitely one of those things where the show has so many different tones to it that you almost need to pinpoint the episodes you like and then have someone who likes it all go in and say, okay, just watch these episodes and I'll give you the wiki articles to fill in the gaps between them. Yeah. And even for me, and I'm, I love Doctor Who, there are just spans of it that I'm like, eh, that episode was okay. That that was just me wasting an hour. And and I think the next time that it really, really hit me, there were, there were a few moments, but uh, it was the most recent Doctor, not Jenny Whitaker, but Peter Capaldi. Uh, mm-hmm. His second season with Bob, who is his second companion after Clara, um, was really good because again, it hit some of those those moments of I'm tired, I can't save everybody, and that's wearing on me again. Whenever they hit those tones, like it's such a more genuine experience, but it's so far and few between. We know that these properties, to some degree or another. Uh, have fan bases that genuinely love those shows. I mean, like Ariel loves Doctor Who and I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. We also, you know, again, understand this doesn't make those shows bad. It just means that for whatever reason, we didn't connect with them. It didn't touch that, that geek button inside of us that makes us, you know, explore everything about the show and devour it and like learn about all the, extra material around the show, whether it's behind the scenes or yeah. stuff that connects things like the comic books and novelizations and all that. It just didn't hit hit for us. And um, that's okay. Like, I think it's good to know that it's okay to be a geek about some things and have other things just not work for you. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the nice thing about media is there's, there's such a diverse amount of it that everything isn't going to hit every person the same way. Right. Yeah. And, and it's okay. Like, yeah. And it, and also if you happen to be one of those people where you just don't get it, like there are people going gaga about this thing and you just don't get it. I mean, I know it can be tempting to sometimes say like, this just doesn't work or whatever, but you know, let people enjoy what they like and just accept that like, okay, this just wasn't for me. I mean, I get it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that happens. Uh, that's a lesson I've had to learn the hard way because I was definitely one of those internet jerks who would chime in like, but actually the thing you like isn't good objectively. <laughs> and I'll prove it in this 14 page essay. I like to call Jonathan is a total jerk, but I've grown since then. Well, that's too bad. Cause after this break, we're going to let you give an essay on the things that you like that not other people did like. Well, that's only because uh, they're I'll total the jerks. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay. Well, right. we'll get to that right after this break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade 
with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to steal a moment for yourself before the week ahead. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. So, Ariel... We, mm-hmm. we talked, I don't know if you remember this, it happened like 15 seconds ago, but we talked about things that just didn't connect with us that other people genuinely like, and we kind of talked about why it just didn't work for us. Now we're going to talk about things we liked that for some reason or another didn't seem to gather the, the groundswell of support they would need to continue being a thing. So with that in mind... Uh, and I know you've got a couple where they lasted a long time, but in those cases, the the audience was really a niche audience and it was mm-hmm. sort of special circumstances. But why don't you talk about a, a property or series that you really like that you feel just just didn't catch on to a, a wide mainstream audience? OK, so uh, it's hard because Farscape is at the top of that list, because when I talk to someone who likes general sci fi most of them haven't watched it. It's people who are into all things sci-fi that tend to have watched it, exception of Jonathan. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm guilty of not having watched Farscape. I think I may have seen 
maybe 20 minutes of Farscape total. <laughs> and and like, it's it's interesting to me because when I first watched it, I didn't watch it when it originally aired. I saw it was coming out. I was super interested into it because who doesn't like Muppets in space? I mean, uh, the, that's... That's the worst Muppet movie. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> I mean, it is Muppets in space I mean, is the worst. Well, Muppet, I think it's Muppets from space, but that's the worst Muppet movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, Muppets from space, pigs in space, regardless, uh, sci-fi and Muppets to me are fun, even though that movie was bad. It has nothing to do with Farscape. And that's so I was true. like Jim Henson, Jim Henson helping with the science fiction to bring all of these aliens to life. That just sounds amazing. And then I missed it. And then, uh, my husband brought me back to it and I watched it. And like the first two or three episodes, I was like, mm, I don't know if I could get into this because the puppets just seem too puppety. detached, too puppety for the rest of the story, which is not me at all. Um, <laughs> like, that's not how I think about puppets ever, really. Um, but then somewhere in the middle of the first season, it's really one of those shows to me that you've got to watch through the first half of the first season, which is just okay. And then towards the end of the first season, beginning of the second, it really gets its ground and figure, figures out what it wants to be and gets ridiculous. And then it's just a ton of fun slash gut-wrenching. But again, it's one of those things that like, if you aren't familiar with it and you go into it, those first few episodes may not catch you. And it's it's really a hidden gem. But, you know, even for shows that ended up getting pretty popular and are, are considered kind of the foundations of uh, science fiction, at least mo- at least the, the current era of science fiction, stuff like Star Trek, the next generation. I challenge anyone, anyone listening to this podcast to go back and watch the first season of Star Trek, the next generation mm-hmm. and ask yourself the question, does this show deserve to get renewed for a second season <laughs> and come up with a positive because that first season was rough. Yes. The the other show that is very much like that for me is Lost because you have to get through the first 10 episodes before anything really intriguing happens. No, that explains um, why I dropped off. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I made a very good friend of mine watch the first 10 episodes and by the end of it, she was like, I'm done. I hate, I don't want to watch anymore of the show. I'm like, but now it's going to get good. She's like, but now I don't want to watch anymore. Um, and I know a lot of people had problems throughout. Uh, it seemed at many times like the writers were just throwing darts at a dartboard. This is the best description I've heard of it. It's not my own. And then making the actors do improv scenes based on where the darts ended to tell the story. Um, see, and and this, then the end- in this scene, you see thunk, a polar bear. <laughs> yes. And then the ending was uh, much like so many other sci-fi shows that pe- a lot got a pretty big following was very, very ho-hum for many people. They didn't like it. But um, yeah, that's another one that I, I actually really like. I didn't mind the ending. I didn't mind the first 10 episodes getting into it. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it for what it was, which was a, a big old train wreck. But but Lost <laughs> Lost actually had a, a, really a really big following. Big like following. it was yeah. definitely one of those that had people talking week to week. Like the two shows I can remember people at work talking about were Survivor, a reality TV series Mm -hmm. that (laughs) I have very (laughs) low opinions of, and then Lost. And uh, I didn't watch Lost when it first came on, so I tried watching it when it hit Netflix. And I think Lost is one of those shows that benefits from having a week between episodes because that gives you that chance to have like all the theories and 
speculate what does this mean and and wonder what's going to happen next and build anticipation and enthusiasm. Whereas when you can just binge it and find out the answer immediately afterward, you don't benefit from that that gap, right? Like we saw that with WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're seeing it now with Loki that when you get to the end of an episode, you you are eagerly anticipating the next one. And because you cannot immediately gratify that desire, you are left to ruminate on what you've seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I never got into Lost. um, But for me, like a show that I genuinely loved, but it just never got enough. There's actually two I can tell you about uh, because there's one I just remembered. So there's one. From the early 1980s. I don't even know if you've seen it, Ariel, but it was called Wizards and Warriors. It it lasted six episodes. <laughs> it was a, a series where you had Eric Greystone, the hero, and Dirk Blackpool, the villain. Um, and it was, I would say it was sort of a predecessor to shows like Xena and Hercules you know, those sort of comedic action fantasy shows, mm-hmm. the shows that they're not comedies, but they have a lot of comedic elements worked into them. Wizards and Warriors was that way. It had a lot of comedic moments built into the show. Was this based off of the old game Wizards and Warriors? No, this was just okay. a fantasy action series. And it was in the early 1980s. So everyone had the the, the 1980s hair um, and you it was just really entertaining. I actually have a, a don't tell anyone a everyone out there listening. Don't tell anyone. I have a bootleg. <laughs> I have a bootleg DVD of Ooh. that series because it never lasted beyond like six episodes. So these are all like taped off the television episodes that have been burned to DVD. Um, but it's, it's a really I, entertaining show. I don't think I have watched it. I'm looking at pictures and like, the main dude, who I'm guessing is the main dude, uh, looks familiar. But well, I if you've I seen if you've seen it. the Warriors, uh, <laughs> then that would be why he. So it's an actor who's been in lots of other stuff. Uh, but we'll, Everything with the name Warrior, with the word Warrior. In yeah, it. we'll talk about him later. But uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe so. Ariel and I are going to be hanging out later this month, which is exciting because I haven't seen you in ages. Later this month when we're recording this, I don't know when this will air, but (laughs) later this month we're going to hang out and maybe I'll bring the DVD so we can watch some of it because it is cheesy. And I think it's the sort of cheesy that the friends who will be at that gathering will be into. Um, So Mm. I'll I'll use that one. My other one, just to mention it, I won't go into detail because we're going to run over time otherwise. But the other one I would I would mention is the adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which was a science fiction Western starring Bruce Campbell as the aforementioned Briscoe County Jr. and was really fun and quirky, uh, but it also got a little too wrapped up in its own lore um, to the point where mm-hmm. halfway through that that season, you just felt like this show is way too convoluted. And then I think the showrunners sensed that and they very quickly wrapped up that storyline in a not terribly satisfying way in order to make it a more straightforward Western comedy series. But by then it was already too late and the series yeah. and the series was canceled. Which is a shame because I think it might be my favorite thing that I've seen Bruce Campbell do. 
It is, Just, it is incredibly charming. And um, the actor who played show Nuff in the last dragon played uh, a, mm. a bounty hunter named Lord Bowler. He has sadly passed away since then. Uh, but yeah. Lord Bowler was a great comedic foil to Briscoe County Jr. It was just a fun show. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. We're going to now go into another break. And when we come back, we're going to mash up a couple of properties, which we will talk about a little bit before we go into our our various mashups. I will say uh, Ariel and I, we haven't shared our mashups with each other yet, but we've each said that for once we did not go with a comedy approach. So yes, get ready for some serious mashing up <laughs> after this break. <laughs> Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to steal a moment for yourself before the week ahead. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Okay, Ariel, we've got two properties we're mashing up, and one of them we have already mentioned in this episode, which is Lost. So mm -hmm. 
Do you mind giving people like a brief overview of what Lost is just in case they're not, they're like me and they're one of those people who just missed out on the whole thing? Sure. So Lost is a story about a bunch of people on Oceanic Flight 815 that crashes on a mysterious island. Uh, The entire show is them trying to get off the island and back home as crazy weird things happen around the island. There's like polar bears. There's a mysterious smoke monster that makes horrible noises and rattles trees. Uh, Eventually you find out that they're uh, spoiler for anybody who wants to watch it. There are the others who were a part of the Dharma Initiative who liked this island for its like temporal properties. It's moving around in space time kind of. Um, it was very convoluted. They always changed things. They killed off a lot of characters you liked. Like precursor to Game of Thrones if Game of Thrones was modern and not about royalty. Um <laughs> But it was, you know, it was always fun and interesting to try to figure out where they were going to go. They had numbers uh, that kept popping up, and they had this whole, like, mini-cosmo around the show where people would try to get these clues and figure out what was going to happen next and what was going on. And who knows if there ever really were answers to it. I did not have that much time to invest into the show. But it was it was a good, a good sci-fi based on Survivor, I suppose. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was one of, again, it was one of those things that generated a lot of talk between episodes. Like it gave people plenty of time to, to formulate theories, some of which maybe the showrunner saw and maybe even incorporated into the show or specifically steered mm-hmm. the show away from, uh, there, you know, there haven't been too many discussions that went into how much, if at all, the fans affected the direction of lost. Um, but it was definitely one of those that had like that really passionate fan base that was eager to, you know, discuss their own theories about what was actually happening. And there was just enough mm-hmm. mystery to keep that going. If you're not like someone like me. <laughs> yeah. Until the end of the show when everybody just swore it off because they didn't like the ending. Unless yeah. you're me. Yeah. Uh, so then we have Lost in Space. Now, Lost in Space started off as a uh, a television sci-fi uh dramedy, I guess you could say like it was more of a drama, but with lots of little comedic moments as well, uh, in which you have a family, the Robinsons who are sent to go as sort of a, an early, uh, colonization group to a planet orbiting alpha Centauri. And they've got a pilot major Don West, who is in charge of a ship, the Jupiter two, uh, and they then are sabotaged by a guy named Dr. Zachary Smith, um, who is, uh, trying to sabotage the ship on behalf of some government that's never actually revealed. Uh, and he's, he sabotages a robot on the show. It's referred to as the robot. He doesn't get a name or it doesn't get a name. Um, and then eventually Dr. Smith, as the character is known, he, he's caught aboard the ship after he sabotages it. So he ends up having to try and, and revive the crew out of cryostasis in order to rescue his own hide. The, the group get lost in space. And Dr. Smith throughout the rest of the series is sort of a comedic villain, like a cowardly villainous character. He gets more comedic as the show goes on. And that's the original incarnation of the show. Of course, there was a movie adaptation that changed things quite a bit. Uh, and then that was there, pretty dark. And there was a, a 2018 reboot of the series on Netflix, which also changed things quite a bit, including changing the uh, 
the the gender of Doctor Smith, uh, which was you know they had uh, um, uh, Parker Posey, I think, Parker playing, Posey, yeah, playing that role. Now, uh, in my mashup, at least, I went with the original Lost in Space because I have a very tenuous connection with it. Hmm. Interesting. You'll have to get into that when you get to your mashup. I also went with the original Lost in Space because I'm not caught up on the current one. Okay. Well, who would you like to go first, knowing that both of these are more on the dramatic side than the comedic side? Um, I'll go first. Okay. All right. This is called Lost in the Hatch. It's been a week since the passengers of Oceanic Flight 815 woke up on the island. A week plagued with strange occurrences like mysterious caches of food rations marked Jupiter 2 initiative, polar bears, and weird electromagnetic fields, all accompanied by a creepy, groaning, roaring mechanical noise from an unseen monster in the woods. And that's when he shows up. Dr. Zachary Smith, claiming to be a passenger on Flight 815 along with his wife and children, no one recognized him, but since the plane had broken in half during the crash, everyone in the makeshift camp cautiously believed him. When asked where his family was, Dr. Smith said he had lost them in the crash and was looking for them. He singled out John Locke, a gentleman who had once been in a wheelchair but now could walk to help him, saying that he was a man of science and he needed a man of faith to help him see signs he might overlook that would lead him in the right direction. While the rest of the survivors continued to try to find a way to be rescued off the island, Dr. Zachary Smith, John Locke, and a couple of others, Boone and Hurley to be named, went off in search of Dr. Smith's family. The search party was only a short way into their quest when they heard the ominous groaning, roaring mechanical sound. Ah, the smoke monster, run, yelled Hurley. This way, shouted Dr. Smith, as the trees in front of them began to shake. When they stopped running from the monster, they realized they were standing on top of a giant hatch. On the hatch were the numbers 02, B9, 10, 16, 1997. <laughs> Dr. Smith told... I recognize all those numbers. Yay! Dr. Smith told the group, my family must be hiding in there, let's break in. And that's what they tried to do. In their attempt to break into the hatch, Locke injured his leg, but they did make it in. And that's when they saw it. A man, a woman, and their two children frozen in chambers. And one chamber opened with the name Z. Smith on the outside. But just as Locke, Boone, and Hurley were perplexing over this, they heard the monster noise again. But this time it was much closer, and it was saying something. Danger, Will Robinson. Very Sorry, dramatic. Everybody. Thank you. The monster was in the hatch. Dr. Smith yelled for them to quickly to get the family out of the pods in the hatch before the monster got them. But before they could do that, the monster appeared. Locke being injured was unable to run away and prepared for the worst, but the worst never came. Instead, the monster, which was a robot, cornered Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith yelled for help, but the search party refused until they were told what was really going on. So Dr. Smith, with no other alternatives, told them in sort of a villainy monologue way. He had launched into space in 1997 with a family called the Robinsons in an effort to get to an Earth-like planet around the Alpha Centauri star. However, due to complications that he insisted were no fault of his own, they got knocked off course and crash-landed on this island. And upon landing, he, the robot, and the supplies in the ship were strewn across the island. The hatch was actually the spaceship, but it was so damaged in the crash, it couldn't take off with the crew inside of it. Which was also a lie. Dr. Smith just wanted to get rid of the Robinsons. At first, Dr. Smith didn't even know where he was, and for the last seven years now, he was trying to get off the island and back on his journey. The monstery robot wouldn't let him remove the crew, which he was insisting had to be off for the spaceship to take off, as it was protecting the young boy, Will. 
So Dr. Smith's goal was to get Locke, Boone, and Hurley to remove the family, destroy the robot, and then Dr. Smith would take off in the spaceship back on his mission, leaving everyone behind. At first, Locke and the rest of them thought Dr. Smith was crazy. There was no mission to space that year. But then they noticed the numbers on the hatch directly matched his story, and he must be from an alternate timeline. Once they realized he was from an alternate timeline, they decided to revive the Robinsons, oust the doctor, and take the spaceship back through the wormhole and off the island. The three survivors went back and told the rest of the passengers. They all went to the hatch, dug out the spaceship, repaired it, and shot off into space. It was an exceptionally rough ride, and everyone passed out. The next thing we know, we're viewing a close-up of an eye on a beach. And as we zoom out, we find out that all of the passengers of Flight 815 are back, freshly crashed on the beach, along with the Robinsons and their robot. And there is a loud, scary, groaning, roaring mechanical noise from the jungle. Ooh. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. I've been doing those lately. <laughs> Mine also ends in a cliffhanger because, I mean, this is a series, right? Like you're talking about yeah. Lost. That's what that's kind of how it do. So, um, yes, mine is called Lost, Lost in Space Space. <laughs> <clears throat> Young Will Robinson has a problem or as the robot would say, danger, Will Robinson. The young lad strayed a bit too far from the Jupiter 815 while exploring the surroundings of the mysterious island that served as the crash site for the latest of the spaceship's catastrophes. Will had moved just a bit too far from the supervision of his family when he sees something truly odd in the jungle island's vegetation, an insubstantial form, almost as if made from smoke, seems to be moving through the shadowy space between trees and even the young Will can sense it has menace. But before he can escape, the smoke is on him and he cries out, only to have his scream suddenly cut short. Meanwhile, back at the landing site, Major Don West and the robot hear young Robinson's cry. Thinking quickly, West asks the robot if it can determine where Robinson was. The robot gives a general direction and estimated distance, indicating Robinson's last known position. West tells Will's parents, Professor John Robinson and Dr. Maureen Robinson, and West elects to bring Judy, the eldest Robinson child, and the robot, and Dr. Zachary Smith with him. Dr. Smith doesn't seem thrilled by the prospect. John, Maureen, and their daughter, Penny, stay behind, worried but working harder on making repairs to the Jupiter 815. West and crew, following in Will's footsteps, reach the point where Will last was. From there, they see all signs of Will's presence come to an end, as if he had been plucked off the ground somehow. West decides that the group should split up and search. He and Judy will go in one direction, and Smith and the robot in another. Meanwhile, Will Robinson wakes up in a strange place. It seems like he's in some sort of military bunker. The smoke monster is nowhere to be found, but at the same time, there's no way for Will to get out. The hatch to the bunker seems to be locked from the outside, but inside the bunker is a very old computer terminal. Will, determined to put his knowledge of computer science to the task, attempts to make it work. We come back to Judy and Major West, who find an odd metallic panel in the jungle. On it is a symbol that looks familiar. It's an octagonal shape with lines inside it, and the word Dharma in the middle. I've seen this before, says Judy. Major West agrees that it is familiar, but neither can quite place where they had seen it. 
Meanwhile, the robot and Dr. Smith are in another part of the jungle, where Smith is spending his time calling the robot a tritorious, transistorized trash heap. But then, suddenly, the robot spots a sign of the hatch, and Dr. Smith, in a moment of desperation, fakes a stumble and, air quotes, falls over, (laughs) crying out, Oh, the pain! The pain of it all! (laughs) The robot tells Dr. Smith to stay there, and it will fetch help from back at the Jupiter 815. So the robot leaves, and we see a sly smile on Dr. Smith's face. Cut to Major West and Judy. As they work their way back through the jungle, they spot something impossible. There in the tropical jungle is what looks like a polar bear moving off in the underbrush. Before the two can get a good look, however, it's gone. Having found no signs of Will, and convinced that moving further without help would be a mistake, they decide to retrace their steps to where their group first split up. Back at the Jupiter 815, John and Maureen are deep in conversation when the robot returns, alerting them to Smith's, air quotes, injury. Maureen decides she will go to tend to the doctor, but then realizes that Penny is missing. Looking for her, they find her cuddling with a little polar bear cub, whom she has named Bloop 2. John and Maureen are left wondering how in the heck a polar bear ended up on a tropical island. Maureen then heads off to tend to Dr. Smith. Major West and Judy return to their starting point and see that Smith and the robot haven't returned yet, so they decide to follow their tracks to catch up with them. And as they do, they see Dr. Smith studying the hatch carefully. Judy gasps quietly and says to West, I know where I've seen that symbol, the one from the metal panel. It's on one of Dr. Smith's old lab coats. And then they realize Dr. Smith has secretly worked for the Dharma Initiative. What's he doing? asks Judy. It looks to me like he's trying to figure out how to cover up that hatch, says Don. The two decide that's enough, and they walk up to the doctor, who immediately says he was, in fact, trying to figure out how to open the hatch in case the young Will Robinson were inside. Don doesn't seem to buy it, showing that it is just a simple crank to open the hatch, but before he even lays hands on it, the wheel on the hatch turns by itself and pops open. All three step back involuntarily, and out from the hatch comes young Will Robinson. I found the controls in an old computer. It's really old. Maybe as old as you, Dr. Smith. Smith, shocked and appalled, rolls his eyes. And then Marine and the robot show up. Marine is surprised to see that Smith is actually up and about. And the doctor then tries to explain that it turned out just to be a mild sprain. Say, Dr. Smith, says Major West, what is Dharma? Smith, shocked, seems at a loss for words. And while searching for something to say, a new voice speaks out. I believe I can answer that. The group turns to see black smoke coalescing into a human form, a man wearing all black. And then we see the show's credits. We'll have to wait for the next episode to find out what happens. I would watch your version of this show. <laughs> well, uh, so so my, my connection to Lost in Space, the actor who played Will Robinson is a guy named Bill Mooney. And uh, mm. Bill Mooney also was a founding member of the novelty music band Barnes and Barnes, most famous for the song Fish Heads, Eat Them Up, Yum. Mm. Anyway, Bill Moomy was a guest at a local science fiction convention. My dad was also a guest at that same convention, and my mom loved to make costumes for me and my sister. At that particular convention, 
I was wearing a Danger Mouse costume. For those who don't know, Danger Mouse was a British cartoon where you had a a mouse kind of like in the style of James Bond. It's very, very silly, very heavy on the puns and sight gags. And I loved it. So I had this Danger Mouse costume and it looked really good. Like my mom made a, a mascot level costume. Turns out Bill Moomy huge danger mouse fan. (laughs) And so he saw me in costume and there was a camera crew that was shooting little bits of the convention and airing it on the local, uh, public broadcast station during a doctor who marathon (laughs) and, and essentially advertising the fact that there was this convention to, to have people come out and be part of it. And, um, and so when Bill Mooney saw me, he said, "I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to do an on camera thing, but I have to have danger mouse with me. And so mm-hmm. I ended up getting to hang out with Bill Moomy for like a couple of hours as he was shooting stuff and having me on camera. I didn't speak or anything. You couldn't tell it was me because it was in costume, but it was fun. That is absolutely adorable. Yeah. Also, it was pretty, pretty sweet. You made mention to Bloop and then I had to go, what did Bloop look like? And it was very upsetting to look at that. <laughs> well, this was Bloop 2 in a very cute polar bear cub. <laughs> yes. Bloop original was a, an, orang, an orangutan, I believe. Yeah, it was an orangutan. Yeah. Or a chimpanzee. No, no, you're right. It was a chimpanzee. It was a chimpanzee with a very large prosthetic head um, on top of its head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which just looked sad. Yeah, which I, I think... Officially, Penny named that Debbie, if I'm not mistaken, but Maybe. but it was known as Bloop because of the noise yeah. it would make. Um, yeah. yeah. And so that's that's our episode. And we're going to mm-hmm. do a few more of these episodes. Uh, frequently, we record these because occasionally one of us needs to go out of town or something like that. And so instead of trying to cover news that might be very stale by the time you hear it, we thought we would do more evergreen episodes for those rare occasions where we can't just cover mm-hmm. breaking news. Otherwise I'd be talking about Benedict Cumberbatch saying he's not going to play Thrawn and uh, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, no, he says he doesn't want to be in a makeup chair for hours on end because he misses his kids, which I think is totally valid. Uh-huh. Um, yes. But yeah, so we're, we would, we'll be doing these occasionally. So if you ever hear one that's like this, that's what that's about. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about at length in an episode like this, let us know. Yes, you can email us. The email address is lnc at iheartmedia.com. Or you can drop us a line on Twitter where we are LNC underscore podcast or on Facebook or Instagram where we're Large Nerdron Collider. And remember, if you enjoy the show, make sure you review it, you share it with friends. All of that really helps to get more people aware of our show. We don't want to be the next like science fiction property that gets canceled because just not enough people knew about it. Yes, that would be the saddest. Uh, But to leave on a happy note, I am Ariel Kasten. And I am Jonathan Happy Strickland. Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. The show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.